Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Dealing with pests can be a pain. But relax, Terminix can help, because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. Jacob Goldstein, welcome to Cautionary Tales. Hi, Tim. I'm so happy to be here. And I suppose I should say welcome to Pushkin as well. We, can you tell people a, a little bit about where you, because we go back a long way, where, where, what you well, used to do about before you us. came to Pushkin. So I first interviewed you on Planet Money more than 10 years ago. I used to host a show called Planet Money. Uh, I had you on the show many times. I always loved talking to you. I think of us as like professional friends. Yeah, I think that's a nice phrase and not totally creepy, but yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, well, the, the professional friendship continues because now you've joined Pushkin and, and you're making a show for Pushkin. So lucky us and lucky listeners. So tell us a little bit about the show. And before I start pumping you for cautionary tales, because that's what we're really here for is the yes. cautionary tales. Tell us about the show. So the show's called What's Your Problem? And the basic idea is on, on every episode, I interview uh, essentially business people, entrepreneurs, engineers, typically, but not always at, at sort of technical companies about problems they're trying to solve, right? What is their big dream? But then also, what are the problems you have to solve to get there, right? Uh, yeah, that's the basic idea. And, I, and I've, I've listened to some of the show. I, I loved it. Um, in a very understated way, we, we nearly had a, a nine-year-old dying a gruesome death, but it was super fun and everything's fine in the end. Almost immediately, it's like, this is great. Spoiler is alert, spoiler alert. I feel compelled to say this is a, a guy who now uh, runs a drone company. And there's this great story of when he was a little kid, he builds this crazy machine. It's like the engineer as a young boy. It's it's great fun. And then, well, I think we'll we'll hear the rest of the episode. Or we'll hear some of the episode after this conversation. But, uh, but you, you're talking to these these engineers, business people, entrepreneurs. So, so is the emphasis, would you say, on, on their personalities? Is the emphasis on the problems they're trying to solve, the, the differences between them? What is it that you're, you're pulling out of these conversations? You know, the thing I'm ultimately interested in this show is this idea of, of the frontier, the technological frontier, really like the frontier of what human beings know how to do. 
And the people I'm talking to are trying to figure out how to do things that nobody knows how to do, right? That's the idea of the problem is the reason it's a problem is nobody knows how to do it. So like, how do you make a, a drone delivery business that's doing thousands of flights a day, 24 hours a day in America? Nobody knows how to do that yet. And the guy, you know, we're going to hear on the show is trying to figure that out. How do you... How do you make a driverless car? How do you build a company that makes companies? Uh, how do you build an app on the phone that can really teach people language, really teach them language? Like, nobody knows how to do these things, but people are trying to figure it out. And, like, that's exciting to me and I think big and important. And that's what I'm trying to get to on the show. And I think part of the fun of it is that and this is hugely important for humanity it's it's hugely important in a in, we think about social progress and and uh, the future of our species on the planet but at the same time these are very personal stories you know, these are people who make mistakes and and try and solve problems and and you get to talk about that and how how they do that day to day yeah and you know that blend i mean just for me as a listener that's what i always want right like i want I want some big important idea, but I want it actually happening, right? Happening through a person getting up every day and trying to do something and failing. Uh, because if you just have the person doing something, then it's like, why am I listening to this? There's no big idea. If it's just the big idea, then it's all a bit sort of vague and abstract. And and frankly, I mean, clearly, I'm not like inventing this formula, right? Like cautionary tales is a very good example of that, right? You're very good at finding these compelling human narratives that sort of reveal a big idea. That's like your thing, right? So I think I'm, I'm trying to do something that is sort of in the same mold. Yeah, well, I, I think there are some similarities. There are some differences as well. One of the nice differences is that it's, it's happening real time. You get the sense of this is a problem being solved now, whereas cautionary tales, we know how the story ends and, and almost always badly, although every now and then there's a happy ending. The show is called What's Your Problem?, uh, I'm interested in in the problems, as you can tell with cautionary tales. I'm obsessed with problems. So, are there any examples you can think of of just things where the problem seems insoluble, or they tried and they they failed to solve the problem in some spectacular way? Have you got any cautionary tales for me? Is what I'm asking. I'll tell you one that's interesting to me is is driverless cars. Actually, yeah. you know, driverless cars have been three years away for ten years. Right. They're yeah. always almost here. So that is definitely a cautionary tale, right? This is a thing that people keep saying is essentially solved, right? Yeah. Oh, we got it. We can do it. And yet it's not. That problem is super interesting to me. And so uh, another one of the, the early episodes is an interview with um, a woman named Aisha Evans, who, who runs a, a driverless car company called Zooks. And they are like the all in building a car. They don't even call a car. It doesn't have a steering wheel. It doesn't have a front or a back. It's like a robo-taxi, full on. And the really interesting thing I learned is people are better drivers than AI engineers thought. People are better drivers than I thought, right? Like, people seem like terrible drivers. People are complicated, right? In normal circumstances, people are worse drivers than AI, right? Yeah. And just a sunny day, a normal street, AI is going to be way safer, way more reliable. But the thing that AI engineers didn't understand was how many weird edge cases there are, how many just confusing moments there are, how weird other people are, 
One of the problems she was talking about that they haven't solved, she calls it you go, I go, like two people pull up to a four-way stop. Who goes first? Well, there is a rule, but people don't really follow the rule. Maybe there's a wave or there's a point. The norms are different in different neighborhoods. And if you're a human being, you are really good at solving that particular problem. You're really good at just reading the body language of the other person. Maybe you make a little eye contact. Maybe there's a wave. Computers are terrible at it. The smartest AI engineers in the world running millions of hours of simulation can't solve that problem. And so you're the cautionary tales guy. I feel like there is a cautionary tale somewhere in there. Can you get me to it? I feel like I'm not quite there, but can you get it there? Well, we, I mean, we do have a, a related cautionary tale about a, uh, a horrendous air crash where the, the problem was that the the autopilot had been flying so much in easy conditions. And then when the conditions got a bit tricky, the autopilot just handed over to the pilots and they were just out of practice and they couldn't, they just couldn't figure out what was wrong because they'd been de-skilled by the, the AI wow. dealing with all the easy cases and then going, oh, it's hard. And, and the, the weird thing is the better the AI gets, whether it's an autopilot, whether, it, whether it's a self-driving car or whether... I don't know, maybe it's an AI that does your accounts or it could be solving any problem. The, the better it gets, the less practice the human gets and uh -huh. the weirder and more challenging the situation where the AI suddenly hands it, puts it into the human's lap. And, yeah. and that, I think, is a really interesting problem. And, and by the way, they, they crash a perfectly functional plane into the middle of, of the Atlantic and, and kill everybody. It's, it's horrible. I don't know where to go with that, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is cautionary tales. People are used to that. People are used no, to, the, I mean, that, to the bad stuff. But I think that is quite a good analogy. I think that yeah. is quite a good analogy. Well, we've been teasing everybody uh, about this series, all the people you've talked to, all of the problems that they're trying to solve. So let's have a listen to the first episode, which is all about the drone company Zipline. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem? The show where we talk to entrepreneurs and engineers about the future they're going to build once they solve a few problems. My guest today is Keenan Wyrobeck. He's the co-founder of the drone delivery company Zipline, and he has a message for the world. The drones are coming. There's going to be more planes and flying cars flying in the airspace in 20 years by a factor of 100 than there are aircraft flying in the air today. Flying taxis, aerial pizza delivery, it could all be coming. In fact, Keenan's company, Zipline, is already doing hundreds of drone deliveries a day, every day in Rwanda and Ghana. But the company has come up against a really interesting, kind of surprising problem as it tries to expand to the U.S. It's not really a technological problem. It's more a problem about the way America thinks about airspace, about the way we regulate the sky itself. And this problem, it goes back to the early days of flight, but it also has a huge impact on the present, right now. Keenan's a robotics engineer by training. And by the time he co-founded Zipline back in 2014, he'd already worked on a few successful projects. So he was at this moment when he could really think hard about what his next big thing should be. And he told me he went around looking for a problem to solve kept coming up with ideas, but when he went and asked experts in the real world, is this a problem? They'd be like, actually, no, that is not really a problem for us. Finally, his wife pointed him in a new direction. My wife's an epidemiologist, um, and she was telling me these stories about 
uh, health campaigns, you know, vaccine campaigns that just get stuck on logistics. And so, of course, the wheels are turning. It's like, okay, maybe drones and, and that actually that that seems like maybe there's a there's a real problem to solve here that people are going to really care about. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I will warn you, I'm a very skeptical person. So it's like, yeah. okay, I'm going to dig into this. We're going to go learn about this. And I'm just sure there's going to be a thousand reasons why, you know, this is never going to work. <laughs> we can't ever solve this problem. Uh, and so we spent a bunch of time in, in Central America, where my wife is from, uh, in Africa. We, we visited this one uh, medical supply warehouse uh, in Tanzania and outside the warehouse, as far as you could see, you know, football fields of pallets stacked, you know, two stories high in places. We're just outside this warehouse. We're like, what's, why do you have all these medical supplies, you know, vaccines, pharmaceuticals, other things? Why are they outside? And, you know, one of the people in the delegation sort of quietly, because they were kind of embarrassed about it, they were like, yeah, that's all expired medicine. Oh, wow. And that was one of those like moments where it clicked of like, okay, <laughs> supply is actually not the big problem. There's actually something much more practical uh, around around how to run, you know, how to get the supply from, you know, point A, these warehouses to these doctors. That, that was one of the experiences yes. that kind of just, it like the bit flipped in my head from like, this is probably not a problem we can solve to like, holy shit, we have to solve this problem. And it just became really clear. You could leapfrog over all these factors by doing this with drones in an on-demand way. So this is the rare instance where a robot can solve a big, important problem in the world that the people dealing with the problem actually agree is a big, important problem. Exactly. And I'd say that that people agreeing it's an important problem was another big part of my concern, right? Like <laughs> in Silicon Valley, we like to use the word disruption as a good word, right? You walk into a health system, a national health system of a country and say, let's disrupt this. Like nobody is excited. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah. here's the door. We're busy. You know, like go disrupt somebody else. Like yeah. we have a job to do. I was very worried that there just wasn't going to be an appetite for change in these health systems. Um, but really the opposite happened where we, we got started getting to know these health systems and the ministers of health in these countries. And I still remember the first interaction with the minister of health in Rwanda. She said, okay, you've got two weeks, you know, we've got all the data. Like you've been modeling how a drone system like this could work in a health system, put together the case. What's the health impact? What's the economic impact? And then we'll go from there. And that was just like amazing. <laughs> the, the rest is, of course, history. The case was really compelling on the health side and the economic side, uh, and they became our, our first customer. And specifically, what is the, the ask? What is the job? The job from Rwanda is deliver blood on demand. The obvious answer in the early days was like, okay, cool. Which drone are we going to buy? So went out to all the drone companies that could make a drone that could do what we wanted. And this was an incredibly frustrating journey because the best quote I got for a drone was $200,000 per drone with a 200 flight warranty if I didn't fly it in the rain. Uh -huh. so, uh, and it was like, and obviously the economics of that are just like, don't work at all. And, the, you know, the customers want delivery all the time when it's waning or not. Yeah, and yeah. This was all really clear. And it just became, uh, this was one of those wake up call moments of like, oh, <laughs> you got to do this yourself. Um, and getting this first product service off the ground for this customer is going to be a much bigger lift than, than you thought. Uh huh. So, so you realize you're going to have to build your own drones from scratch. And one of the things that's interesting to me about this part of the story is, is it right? You wind up basically using iPhone parts. So the sensors, many of the sensors that make the drone fly, um, you know, these are the same sensors that are in your phone uh, and that detect like whether or not, you know, what orientation your phone is turned for <laughs> like your video it, to play. It, so your phone knows the video should be sideways. Our plane knows which way is up and how to fly without, you know, falling out of the sky. And it's truly um, the same, basically the same sensors. 
Oh yeah, made by the same companies. Like yeah. What <laughs> what others? Are, if there are others, can you just like rattle off like oh what, sure what sensors that are in my iPhone more or less are in your drones? Yeah, so GPS. Uh, the cell modems <laughs> that are in your okay. phone we have in our drones. Even the basically the processors that are in your phone, we use very similar technology like processors. Same chip, more or less. Similar exactly. That, they're so power efficient and and they're so capable. It's amazing to me, I guess, in part because you know I've gotten used to thinking about um, giant businesses like I don't know Uber or uh, Instagram. That like, okay, I get that those you couldn't have without the iPhone, right? That is intuitive to me. But the idea that like, you know, a company sending drones across sub-Saharan Africa to deliver blood, that that is also built on the iPhone is wild. Like you needed the cell phone, the smartphone revolution. You needed the iPhone to have come along and made all these components super cheap, super reliable, super smart. Exactly. So I want to try, I want to just talk through in some detail how like one what do you call it? Delivery, I guess, how one delivery yeah. works. So some doctor or nurse needs something in their hospital. What happens? Yeah. So a doctor or nurse needs something, they, they place their order, right? And by the way, we're really flexible there. They can use a an app, they can use their phone, they can use WhatsApp, they can pick up the phone and call us, whatever's easy for them. So um, our team, they're, they're going to get the unit of blood out of the freezer or fridge. They're going to get the, the unit off the shelf. Um, they're going to pack it up. Uh, put it into one of the drones. Uh, the drone gets put into a launcher. Uh, okay, now I'm going to pause you there because we yeah. we have a video, and I know we're like watching videos on a podcast is a questionable move, but let's try it because like I do want to see it. Right? It's a it's yeah. It's okay. cool. So are you ready? I'm push play. You push play too. Okay, ready? Go. All right. Okay. So so somebody is loading. It it looks like a plane, a plane about the size of a person, onto some kind of a launcher, right? Onto like a ramp. Exactly. Oh, there's propellers. The, the propellers are spinning. <laughs> I like your narration. <laughs> and then there's a guy. What's the... the guy there doing? Oh, it, it just launched. He just launched it. Yeah. The wingspan's about 10 feet. So picture, yeah, okay. it's a, like a, a big RC plane. Okay. A, a big remote control plane. And by the way, I mean, it's not in fact remote controlled, right? Like what does it, is it actually just flying on its own? Yeah. So it, it is flying. It's flying automatically all the way out to the delivery site. Does that mean there are people whose job is to sit somewhere at the warehouse or at an office and like look at what a camera from, to basically do air traffic control, to look at what all the drones are doing and make sure that- exactly. So we call our drones ZIPs uh, and we call yeah. those people ZIP controllers. <laughs> Their job is very similar to air traffic control. And do they generally have to do anything or do the drones take care of themselves? The drones take care of themselves. Okay. So here, let's keep watching. So now, now the drone is going to make the drop. First yeah. of all, you have to picture a package. So picture a, a cake box, right? Size okay. package. Like it? Um, with a paper parachute on it. That's in the belly of this drone. And so the drone okay. flies over uh, the delivery site. Okay. Uh, and it. when it drops it, that paper parachute will inflate and, and the package drifts to the ground. Uh, a little bit like a cartoon is how I, is how I picture it. <laughs> oh, I'm watching it right now. Yeah, it worked. It worked. It looks kind of fast. It's coming down kind of fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it does come down fast. It's a, this is a, the fun of the engineering challenge here. If you come down really slowly, um, that accuracy, uh, uh that basically goes, ah, gets worse. It's because uh, the wind uh, can blow it to the side more. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If and it so, hit you on the head, it looks like it would hurt. 
I have been a test subject of this intentionally <laughs> to make sure you, you, wait, you have stood under it. it. So it hit you on the head. Is that what you're yep, telling me? Yep. You know, it's happening. I live to tell the tale. So, okay. Uh, more seriously, has anybody ever gotten hurt by one of your drones? No, no one's gotten hurt by one of our drones, uh, but there's a lot of engineering work that goes into really minimizing the chances that you can get hurt by a drone. Okay. Tell me about the, the end of the flight. It doesn't yeah. land in the way one would think of a little plane landing. It doesn't land. Yeah. So, so there's like two arms sticking into the air. There's two poles sticking okay. into the air. And those poles are on motors. Okay. So they move okay. up and down. But like basically, you know, they're on motors. Uh, between those two poles is a, is a string. Okay. Uh, really small string. Okay. And basically what's happening is our drone flies between these two poles. Uh, and at the last second, literally that last fraction of a second, yeah. uh, if everything looks good, those poles, the motors on those poles will snap those poles up. So the line flings into the tail hook of the plane. Capturing wow. the plane, uh, and that's how it lands. That is amazing. In a minute, the truly surprising reason that it's harder to build a drone business in the United States than in Rwanda. Now let's get back to what's your problem. Zipline expanded from Rwanda to Ghana a few years ago and now delivers lots of medical supplies across both countries. It's like a normal routine thing there. Hundreds of flights a day, every day. But the company is just starting to expand into the United States. So far, Zipline's work in this country is limited to a few pilot projects. They're delivering medical supplies for a hospital system in North Carolina. Um, they're also flying stuff like bandages and over-the-counter medicine to Walmart customers in rural Arkansas. And in their work in the United States, Zipline is facing one particularly hard problem. A lot of the challenge comes down to, uh, to the regulatory environment in the U.S. Our airspace is very old-fashioned. We have a philosophy here in the U.S. in the airspace where we kind of grandfather everything in. Okay. So not, not, not absolutely everything, but mostly everything. A lot of things you could do in the 40s, you can still do in the airspace today. And that makes things very complicated. Most other countries, basically the way they talk about it is say, we have modernized our airspace. We've required things like transponders. So all planes can tell by radio where all the other planes are. We, we don't require that here in the US. So you're telling me there's some device that you can put in a plane that allows all other planes to know that plane is there. And in the US, you don't have to have that in your plane? That is correct. And as crazy as it sounds. And so in terms of like regulating airspace like Ghana and Rwanda are doing sort of sensible modern things that the U.S. is not doing. That's exactly right. And that makes their airspace essentially much simpler to integrate drones uh, into uh, versus here in the U.S. Tell me, what, what other problems are you trying to solve? What's a technical yeah. one that's interesting? One we're working on that, that's extraordinarily hard, which is uh, this, this comes down to operating in airspaces like the United States, where you have planes flying around um, that don't have you know, a radio transponder that tells you where they are. And so you have to have sensing on the drone that directly senses where these other aircraft are okay. in order to avoid. Okay. Uh, and this is something that's very hard to do for a bunch of reasons. Okay. Uh, we tried radar uh, and radar that can see in all directions. It just, you literally need hundreds of pounds of radar equipment huh. to see far enough in all directions, uh -huh. um, which of course, you know, our drones <laughs> don't weigh hundreds of pounds to begin with. Uh, <laughs> And, and cameras, the same problem. You need so many cameras with so many lenses and so many, you know, pixels, if you will, uh -huh. to see, the, you know, that speck in the air. And of course, cameras, they just don't work when it's cloudy, which is, <laughs> you know, a big deal. So basically, we've had to do, do a sensor technology development from the ground up for this. And it's it's something that's been really challenging uh, and really and really exciting because if we can solve this problem, it'll enable scaled operations for drones uh, you know, around the world. So how do you 
solve it? Are you getting closer? We're getting a lot closer. Uh, and this is, I, I have to tease here because the actual thing I can't talk about quite yet. <laughs> but, it's a secret because like intellectual property, because you're going to try and patent no, it or? Literally because of intellectual property, because uh, we're going to, because we're trying to patent it. So let me ask a question. If you haven't solved this problem yet, how are you able to fly in the U.S.? Yeah. So in the U.S., and this is true of all drone operators in the U.S., even even uh, you know everybody who flies drones in the U.S. is doing exactly this thing I'm going to describe, which is <laughs> not sophisticated. There are people along those routes looking at the sky. Wow. So wherever your drones fly, you have people who are your employees that are getting paid by the hour to look at the yep. sky and what text or something if they push a button if they see exactly they have, they have a special app that they can communicate with our controller if they see something and, and there's a whole protocol around what okay. to do and um, just to be clear you yeah. don't have to do this in rwanda or in ghana because all of the planes flying there have transponders so the drones automatically know when there's another plane yeah and you know we feed our data there into basically their literal air traffic control so they, they have a view of their whole airspace including all the aircraft with people and all of our it's drones. It's so wild to me that we don't have that. Maybe I'm super naive. I guess obviously I am super naive uh, to be surprised by that. Like, is there any broader lesson from that? Like, is there anything I can conclude about the way the United States works, the way regulation works here? I don't know. It, I mean, it is, some of it is a philosophical thing, right? Like here we, we sort of um, we, we sort of romanticize and cherish like sort of the old ways of flying. Uh -huh. and, and so we cowboys, don't want to... Cowboys in the sky in their little Cessna or whatever. Exactly. There are pilots I've met who have told me to my face, I'm never going to put a transponder because that means people know where I am. And some of it is, is also just, uh, you know, I think this is one of the things I think a lot about with this country, right? Where, as we kind of mature, if you will, as a country, right? A lot of these countries like Rwanda and Ghana, these are literally young countries. Uh -huh. Um their whole mindset is around growth and becoming, you know, and becoming the, the the economic power they want to be in the future and things like that. And they're very willing to sort of make decisions that are very future focused. Uh -huh. uh, and I, I think more and more I see, you know, as a as a society, right, we have to balance between clinging to the past and 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 focusing on the future. And how do you do both in the right way? So we so we actually, you know stay who we want to be and become who we need to be. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tricky thing to do. And I, I see when I sit in a room of the FAA leadership and they're literally debating this kind of thing, like in these kind of terms. The FAA has more old fashioned regulations that makes it harder for you to do what you do. You're working closely with the FAA and like, wh where, like where does that sort of land? Like, is there some, I know there's no endpoint, but is there some big like step that's going to happen where they're going to say, okay, you can deliver to hospitals all over the country? And like, what problems do you have to solve for that to happen? Yeah. So the journey with the FAA, yeah. it, it's incremental, right? Uh -huh. It's it's all about taking the, the right next step that leads you to the next step that leads you to the next step. Yeah. Both for them to get comfortable, for them to learn, uh, for us to get to know each other literally. There's a lot of trust that has to be built between a company like Zipline doing something very new and a regulator like the FAA who, you know, to their credit, right, the the advent of autonomy in the airspace is like the biggest change to the airspace literally since flight began, yeah. right? And I mean that in every sense of the word, right? There's going to be more planes and flying cars flying in the airspace in 20 years by a factor of 100 than there are aircraft flying in the air today. Wow. Like it's that big of a change. Wow. Um, and, you know, to their credit, like they can't, you know, they can't be reckless here. This is going to be hard to do yeah. and do it safely. In a minute, the lightning round, including Keenan's tips for solving hard problems and the biggest misconception most people have about drones. Okay, let's get back to the show. 
We're going to close with the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> uh, what is one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who is trying to solve a hard problem? If it's a hard business or customer problem, start with real human customers before you do anything else. If it's a technology problem, focus on the hardest part of the technology problem, ignore all the rest, and then go on to the next hardest, and then go on to the next hardest. What's your favorite app on your phone? My favorite app on my phone? I'm not sure I have such a positive relationship with my phone. <laughs> Actually, you know, recently I, I, I got Nebula. I really like Nebula. I don't know, I don't know Nebula. What is it? It's uh, basically a bunch of the more wonkier YouTubers got together and made a an ad-free YouTube for for to cheat, you know, sidestep the YouTube algorithm, and they just make some great content. Oh, great. Um, That's a good tip. What's the biggest misconception people have about drones? Biggest misconception people have about drones? I I have a good friend who's now worked at SpaceX and Zipline, and he likes to joke that rockets are easier than people think and drones are harder than people think. Good. <laughs> a lot of people, they look at the little, you know, they look at a drone that you play with as a hobby and they're like, what's the big deal? Let's put a package on the bottom and deliver stuff. And um, I'll be honest, I was a little guilty of that too when I started <laughs> Zipline. <laughs> two, eh, two or three more. Um Favorite trait in a coworker? Oh, easy. Someone who has a lot of fun when shit gets hard. Yeah. The, it's actually, this is actually the main thing I interview for. It's sort of funny because huh. there's so much fun because startups are just like, it's one hard thing to the next, right? And and people who really are going to enjoy that and are you're going to have fun with through that, yeah. you know. People who love a problem. Just, yeah. Exactly. Um, what would you do if you couldn't do what you do? Oh, goodness. I've looked. Yeah, this, this, is, this is interesting. If I... Carbon sequestration. How will you know when it's time to retire? Oh, that I have, I have no idea. You know, I think the, you know, Zipline today is the biggest company I've ever worked at by a lot. How big is it? Uh, going on 700 folks. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, you know, if you had asked me eight years ago, if I'd still be here when we were 700 people, I would have been like, nope, <laughs> that doesn't sound like me. So it's uh, painful growth for sure. I work hard at it and I, I have a lot of awesome people around me who don't hesitate to give me feedback, which is, you know, the only way to grow, right? So, uh, but at the same time, like, it's hard to imagine that I can keep up the zip line forever. Keenan Wyrobeck is the co-founder of Zipline. Today's show was produced by Edith Russolo, engineered by Amanda K. Wong, and edited by Robert Smith and Kate Parkinson Morgan. Theme music by Luis Guerra. Special thanks to Mia Lobel. In the next few episodes of What's Your Problem, I'll be talking to people about artificial intelligence. What problems do we have to solve to get to self-driving cars and to chatbots that we can actually chat with? Chatbots good enough to teach us a new language. I'm Jacob Goldstein. If there's somebody you think I should interview for the show, please let me know. I'm on Twitter at Jacob Goldstein. I'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Dealing with pests can be a pain. But relax, Terminix can help, because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.